Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the privilege of listening to your truth and having it revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. So we honor you by opening the truth and recognizing you are the way, the truth, and the life. And all truth is you. So tonight, today, as you bless us with a new year opportunity, I pray in Jesus' name, we'll take the, and put into practice what we learn from you today, and that you might be glorified working in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. Later tonight, the countdown to a new year begins. So how about a countdown for the top 10 reasons people are late to Calvary Christian Center? (laughs) Number 10, no carpool lanes on Calusa Highway. (laughs) Number 9, you had to stop at Starbucks on your way over. I see the cups. You're too shy, number 8, to shake hands with 20 people. Number seven, you stopped to buy a WM pastry somewhere here on the campus. Right? Number six, one of the reasons that uh, you're late to get into the service, bathroom lines. Yeah. Number five, you forgot which room reality kids are in. Okay. Number four, you had a clothing crisis. Sunday best was at the cleaners you discovered when you arose this morning. Number three, disorganization, pure and simple. Number two, the pastor doesn't wear jeans when he preaches. Give us a break, right? And number one, you can hear the worship team in the parking lot anyway, so. There we go. Can you believe 2017 is almost over, right? So is it me or is the calendar speeding up? Anybody get the feeling like it's going faster than it's ever gone before? Right. If you're an average American using a clock as an illustration of how many years you have left in your life, if you're 22 years old, it's 8.20 in the morning. If you're 32 years old, based on typical life expectancies today, it's 11.20 in the morning, and you've got 2,122 weeks left. If you're 42, it's 3.20 in the afternoon. If you're 52, it's 6.20 p.m. You've got 1,092 weeks left. Okay? The point is, whatever you're going to do with your life, you better get on it because time is running out. Amen? And the other point is, if you're not doing something with your life, it doesn't matter how many days you've got left anyway. Right? So do something that counts. And what are you going to do with 2018? How will this year be any different than any other year? How many of you would like 2018 to be better than 2017? Anybody would like that? And last year, there were challenges. All of us have had them. Uh, choices, changes, a year of crisis for some. And the fact is, for some of you, 2017 wasn't real positive. It had some disappointments. And for some, you experienced a loss, maybe the loss of a loved one. 
maybe for some of you, 2017 was a year where there was failure, and it's still ouch. The good news is this. Tomorrow we get to start over. And God brings us life in bite-sized pieces, in hours and days and months. Aren't you grateful for that? Every year he just says, let's wipe the slate clean. Let's start with a brand new year. It's like starting over. And that's good news. Now, how will 2018 be better than 2017? How do, we, how do we see that? How do we expect that? The key is this. You've got to have a plan. You don't just enter 2018 and say, well, I hope it's going to be better. You've got to have a plan to make it better. Proverbs says, an intelligent person aims at wise action, but a fool starts off in many directions. And for many, that describes 2017. We were headed off in many directions. This verse means that you have a goal, an objective, a target, you aim. Have you set any goals for 2018? Or are you going to just walk into 2018 and hope it gets better? You've got to have a plan. Let me give you quickly some steps to help you maximize this next year. Assume responsibility for my life. How about starting right there? Assume responsibility. It's not a popular concept in our culture today because of our political correctness. This basically says none of your problems are your fault. Everything bad in your life is someone else's fault. Blame your boss. Blame your educator. Blame your parents. Are you hearing me? Yeah. Blame the politicians. Blame the white folk. Blame the black folk. Right? It's not your fault. It's somebody else's fault. If you get in an accident today, you better have a camera in your car. Recording everything, because it's never the other person's liability, even though they did the damage to you the moment they get in front of their insurance. No, I didn't do anything wrong. If you spill hot coffee on yourself, sue Starbucks. It's their fault. It's always somebody else's fault. But you're never going to be a success in life. You're never going to make your life count if you've got that kind of an attitude that I'm not taking responsibility. You must assume responsibility for your life. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. Galatians 6, we are each responsible for our own conduct. Biblical people live by a different set of standards and regulations than the culture sometimes adopts. The fact is my choices always determine my circumstances. And you cannot control all the circumstances that are going to happen to you in the next 365 days. I don't know what's going to happen to me. You haven't the foggiest idea about your life either. But you can control your actions and your reactions. And the first point in making 2018 a little bit better than 2017 is to say, okay, I can't control the circumstances of my life, my actions and my reactions, however, will be my choice my determined choice, and I'm going to choose to react differently and act differently in 2018. There are three kinds of people in life. There are accusers, excusers, and choosers. If you've been out on Wednesdays, you've heard me teach about this. There are accusers. They blame everybody else for their problems. 
Their favorite phrase is, it's your fault. It's not my fault. It's your fault. There are excusers. Excusers always have a rationale for where they are. There's always a reason. I've discovered that whenever I want to procrastinate on something, any excuse will do, right? (laughs) The word says the lazy man is full of what? Excuses. Accusers and excusers, people who blame other people, who excuse themselves, are losers. So you need to be a chooser. Choosers say, I choose to assume responsibility for my own happiness. I'm not dependent on everybody else. I choose the direction of my life. I'm not depending on what the crowd thinks, what the populace is saying, what the culture dictates. I'm choosing to accept responsibility for my life. And if you do that, you're a jump ahead in 2018. Second thing we need to do this new year, believe I can change. Believe I can change. Stop saying I can't and start saying I can. Say it, I can. Because the person who says I can't and the person who says I can are both right. Philippians 4, there is nothing I cannot master with the help of Christ who gives me strength. There is nothing I cannot master with the help of Christ who gives me strength. Do you believe that? There's nothing I can't master. And that means there's nothing that I'm going to hit in the next 365 days. No problem, no situation, no circumstance, no hassle. I can't handle that I can't manage that I can't be competent to take hold of by my own effort? Of course not. But with the strength that Christ gives me. We're not talking here about positive thinking. We're talking about supernatural power. You're not psyching yourself up. I think I can. I think I can. Or if it's going to be, it's up to me. No. There are some things, no matter how much you think you can, you can't. And that's the difference between pop psychology and Christianity. There are a lot of good self-help books to tell you what to do. They just don't give you any power with which to do it. And I've read a lot of those kinds of books. Here's how to be a success. First, you need to get rid of your bad habits. Of course, it's a no-brainer. Learn how to get along with people. People get paid millions of bucks to write sentences like this. Be disciplined and have self-control. Absolutely. They tell you what to do, but they don't give you any source of power with which to do it. That's why you must have Jesus Christ. I can handle anything is the attitude. I believe I can change. Okay. Not on my own power, but with the power that Christ gives me. That's how I affect change. The Bible's full of stories of people who change because they believed that they could change after God spoke with them. God came to a man named Moses. I want to use you to save my nation. And Moses said, me? I got kicked out of Egypt because I killed a guy. I'm a murderer. And I'm out here feeding sheep. And on top of that, I I, 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 I stutter. And I'm slow of speech. You want me to be the spokesman for the nation? God said, yep, I'm going to use you. God approached a man named Gideon. When the nation of Israel, they were overrun by their adversaries. 
I'm going to use you, Gideon, to save the nation. Gideon said, me? I'm the youngest kid in the poorest family and the smallest tribe in the nation. And God said, yep, I'm going to use you. Mighty man of valor. God called him what he was before he recognized who he was. God approached a guy by the name of Jeremiah. I want you to be my spokesperson, my preacher. I want you to be a teacher to the entire nation of Israel. Jeremiah said, me? I'm Mr. Depression. It's always Blue Monday for me. I'm a guy who's depressed all the time. Not only that, I'm a teen. I'm just a teenager. And God said, I'm going to use you. And God used a depressed teenager to bring a poignant word to his people. God can use you and God can use me. The good news is God wants to use you. But first, you have to accept responsibility for your own life. And second, you have to believe that you can change, that God will give you the power to change if if you will trust him. Another thing we need to change or modify or embrace is a better word in 2018. Clarify what I really desire. Clarify what I really desire. We have to decide what's important and what isn't important. God has given each of us an incredible gift called the freedom to choose. And that's one of the things that makes us like him because God gave us an ability he didn't give to any other part of his creation. When God says in Genesis 1, let us make man in our own image, he's specifically talking there about choosing, the right to choose. One of the ways that we differ from the animal kingdom, he gave us the freedom to choose between good and evil. Job put it like this, we can choose the sounds we want to listen to. We can choose the taste we want in food. We should choose to follow what is right. But first of all, we must define among ourselves what is good. That means to clarify what I really want and need. It's amazing most people rarely do this. They never stop and think through and write down on paper what's really important to them or type it in or or tap it in. Most have never done this. You've never written down, what are my values? Do you have those written anywhere? What's important to me? What really counts? You can't do what's important until you clarify what's important. Otherwise, you're going to be pushed around by pressures and distractions of life. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. You're going to be diluted. And all of a sudden, the year is over, and you're saying, what have I done? What have I accomplished? So your values determine your vision. Your desires determine your direction, and your roles determine your goals. So you first stop and say, what's important? What really matters to me? Now, most people have never made up their mind what they want out of life, and if you aim at nothing, that's exactly where you're going to hit. You're going to hit it right in the bullseye. Nothing. Most people have this vague feeling of, I just want to be happy. You know, you hear people say this when they're making bad choices in life. Well, I just want to be happy. But they've never really sat down and figured out what's it going to take to make them happy. What does God want to do in my life? Why am I here? Never written out their values. So this week, take a block of time. Sit down. Write down two things on a piece of paper. First, what do I value? Tap it in. 
Punch it into your notes. What do I value? Is it worth spending a little bit of your time to figure out what's important to you? What do I value? The second thing, what do I want to change? You've got to believe that you can change. But first, you have to pinpoint what you want to change. The Word of God says you have not because you what? Ask not. We don't ask because we've never thought about what we want to change. How many know there need to be some changes made in the way we do life if it's going to be any better this next year? What do I value? What do I want to change? So write that in. Punch that in. Set a reminder so it pops up and bugs you every morning. Then make it your prayer list. Stick it up on a wall, not just have it remind you on your device. Stick it up on a wall and review it every day and pray about it. Then watch God do miracles in your life. Clarify what you really want. Everything Paul says is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. In your life, most people, your choice as a Christian is not between good and evil. Like, am I going to have a quiet time today or go rob a bank? I mean, okay? Most Christians don't have those kinds of choices to make. We don't think in those terms. The question is going to be between good and better and better and best. And he says everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Some things aren't necessarily wrong. They just are not necessary. You don't have time for everything. You better figure out what two, three things you've got to get done and tackle them. What's really important? And the way you do that is you ask yourself, what's going to last? What's got benefit out of this? A lot of things just aren't going to last. You know, you're going to run out of some steam. You're not going to be as quick as you once were. They're urgent, but they're not important. I've been to the funerals of a lot of people over the course of ministry years, and I've even been nearby people who were near death or ready to die. Of all the people I've talked to that are reaching that point in life, I've never heard one of them ever say to, as I look back over my life, I wish I'd have spent more time at my office. I've never heard anybody say that. But I have heard a lot of people say, I wish I'd have spent a little more time serving God the way I should have. I wish I would have gotten my act together before all this started happening to me and had to push me to the point where I really focused on the Lord. Uh, several times when I was m- with Mike Elkins before he passed, man, he said, I wish I, I pray God will heal me so I can stand up in front of the church and tell my story. He said, because I was like many who attend. He said, I, I would come, I'd punch the clock, I'd act all nice and everything on Sunday. But I pretty much wanted to live the life the way I wanted to live it the rest of the week. And uh, he said, that's changed dramatically in my life and I want to share that message And that's the kind of thing you hear at the end of life. I wish I'd gotten to know God better. I wish I'd grown some in my character and in my values. Not, I wish I could have spent more time out on the golf course. Clarify what's important. Another thing we need to do in the new year, don't wait to begin. (laughs) Do it now. Three words that'll change your life. Do it now. 
Do it now. There will never be an ideal circumstance to start on the changes that need to be made, to work on the development. So do it now. Don't wait to begin. Because if you wait for perfect conditions, the wise man said, you will never get anything done. Can you say amen to the word of God? Amen. Amen. Probably the phrase I hear more often than any other, when things settle down. We're asking people to help. Well, when things settle down. That's called life, by the way. Life is not going to settle down. If you're using that as an excuse, listen, when, when things settle down, I'm going to start having my daily quiet time. When things settle down, I'm going to read the Bible every day. You're never going to do it. You learn to read your Bible when things are unsettled. When things settle down, I'm going to spend more time with my kids. But right now, I've got a career. Listen, they'll be grown and gone by the time things settle down. That's when things will settle down. Because raising children creates unsettledness. You've got to spend time with your kids when things aren't settled down. I'm going to reestablish that connection with my wife and husband, and we're going to work on our relationship as soon as I get to retire. If you wait until things settle down, your love life will be dead on the vine by the time you arrive there. Life must be enjoyed under imperfect circumstances. Whatever you're going to do, listen. The thing that you want to do, you better get on with it now. Do it now. Because things are not going to settle down until you're in the coffin. Stop waiting for the perfect day. And one root of procrastination is perfectionism. Perfectionism produces paralysis. I can't get anything done because I'm waiting for that perfect moment to start the project I've always wanted to start, to begin the hobby I've always wanted to begin, to learn the skill that I've always wanted to learn. If you don't do it now, you're probably not going to do it because life marches on. Do it now. So we not only procrastinate working on our goals, we procrastinate setting those goals. Because less than 5% of Americans have written down goals for their lives. Less than 5% of us have written down goals for our lives. And surveys also show that 5% that do are the top 5% wage earners in our culture. There's a great correlation. Those who set written goals have greater income. It's a correlation. They, they know what they want in life and they can specify now, I know some of you are starting to get a little more motivated and some are getting a little more nervous. I'm, well, I'm going to do that this year, Pastor. I'm, I'm really going to write down some goals and make my life count. I'm going to use my time more wisely and I'm going to sit down. I'm going to plan my life and my schedule. No, you're not. Face it. You're not going to do that. Okay? Because best intentions fade away very quickly. And the moment you walk out of here, you're going to be distracted by a ball game or by a business deal. And then you're going to procrastinate. And all of a sudden, it's going to be February. And one-twelfth of the year is over. And you still don't know what your goals are for the rest of the year. Okay? So, I was looking at this the other day. It's called The Tyranny of the Urgent. Have you ever read this? Okay? Well, let me quote a couple things from from it. Have you ever wished for a 30-hour day? (laughs) Extra time would relieve tremendous pressure under which we live. 
unanswered letters, unvisited friends, unread books, haunt quiet moments when we stop to evaluate what we've accomplished and we desperately need relief. We can hardly escape Parkinson's principle, he puts in here, because what that is, that principle is this, work expands to fill all the available time. (laughs) And nor will the passage of time necessarily help us catch up. Good points. And he says, when we stop long enough to think about it, we realize that our dilemma goes deeper than a shortage of time. It's basically a problem of priorities. He says, an experienced factory manager told me, your greatest danger is letting the urgent things crowd out the important. Because we live in this constant tension between the urgent and the important. And he says, but often urgent, though less important tasks, call for immediate response, endless demands pressure every waking hour. And therefore, a home, a person's home is no longer a castle, a private place away from urgent tasks because the telephone breaches its walls with incessant demands. And he says, is there any escape from this pattern of living? And he answers it. The answer lies in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a tremendous insight. I urge you to download it and read it. It's a fantastic insight into some of the things we're trying to help you with this morning. Because all of a sudden, we recognize the urgent has crept in and we don't set goals and we don't keep goals because we've let other stuff get between us and what God wants us to be. Here are four important personal developmental goals. And if you're a follower of Jesus, and here's the, here's the deal, then your ultimate goal is to become like Jesus Christ. That's the goal. And how did Jesus develop? Well, Luke tells us four ways. He increased in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and men. Four things. And it says this, if I want to be like Jesus, those are the, 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 the ways I need to develop in four different areas of my life so I become more like him. Because he developed in wisdom, that's intellectual development. He developed in stature, that's physical development. He developed in favor with God, that's spiritual development. And developed in favor with man, that's social development. So if you want to be well-rounded and balanced, then you need to at least set one goal in each of these four areas in the new year. And when you set those goals, remember in your goal setting, be specific Specific goals are those you can accomplish. If they're vague, they have no ability to perform. Motivational. There has to be motivation and passion in this goal in order for it to have an effect. If it doesn't motivate you, don't even bother to look at it because you're not going to try. Attainable. You have to be able to achieve it because if you can't attain it, if you can't reach it, then you're just going to get discouraged and quit. So don't say, my goal is to pray three hours a day. You're going to get discouraged and give up. You'll never achieve it. It's got to be relevant. That means goals that are based on conviction and priority. What are the values I believe are important? And they ought to be biblically based principles, not what the culture is dictating to us and trying to push in on us. Our values are different than those of the culture and trackable. Can I measure this? Can I look at my progress? Uh, you can measure the, the height of your children on the back of a door by having them stand there 
month after month and watch them develop. You should be able to track your goals as well. How do I know if I've reached the goal? So to follow Jesus, the intellectual area, ask yourself, what do I want to learn this new year? Remember the ad that used to say, a mind is a terrible thing to waste? God gave you your mind. It's a gift. It's like a muscle. And if you use muscle, it grows stronger. If you ignore muscle, it atrophies. Same thing with your brain. You don't want to have an atrophied brain. Do yourself a favor and learn all you can, the wise man said. Then remember what you learn and you will what? Prosper. All leaders are learners. All leaders are learners. The moment you stop learning, you stop leading. So as a follower of Jesus, you have to constantly challenge yourself to grow, to develop. Ask yourself, what do I need to learn this new year? So maybe set a a, a book reading goal. How many books do you want to read this new year? A certain number of books, maybe an educational goal. I'd like to take a class and develop a skill that I've never developed before. Maybe to learn a language. Set aside some intellectual goals that will challenge and stimulate you so a year from today you'll be smarter than you are today and you'll know more than you know today. God will use that in your life for his glory so it's good stewardship of the brain that God gave us. Amen? Set a physical goal. What will improve my health this next year? How about losing some weight? How about getting more sleep? How about getting on an exercise plan? How about joining the health club and actually going there? Good. You ready? (laughs) Develop some kind of stress relief. I was reading uh, WebMD sent me an email yesterday. And in it, it said, uh, these are the benefits of exercise in the new year. Let me quickly read them to you. Better mood. Anybody could use that? More energy. Better sleep. More confidence. Less stress. You're more productive. You can control your weight. You'll live longer. Your bones will be stronger. And your muscles will be bigger. You'll have a healthier heart. You will lower your risk of cancer. And you will have less arthritis pain. There's a good reason for you to get out and do something besides be sedentary, right? Daniel Fast can also play into that and help you get started on the right track. The Bible is full of health tips. It's loaded with stuff about your physical body and the importance of keeping it going in the right. Being cheerful, the wise man said, keeps you healthy. It's a slow death to be gloomy all the time. So when I walk into church and I, come on, enjoy the things that God's given you. Some of you, God's health tip for you is lighten up. Don't sweat the small stuff. Realize it's all small stuff as far as God's concerned. Being cheerful keeps you healthy. Spiritual goals. What will deepen my relationship to God? What will, what will deepen it? One thing could make a big difference in my relationship with God. Not ten things, one thing. It might be what you have known to do 
but you put it off and you never did it. Are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus? If you are, have you been baptized? If you haven't, that should be your first goal. Then maybe you ought to join this church family. That might be another thing you want to set as a goal. I want to join the local church and be a part. Uh, Maybe what you ought to do spiritually is join a small group. You need to start tithing. Your goal should be, perhaps, to have a daily quiet time. Next Sunday morning, the Lord willing, I want to preach about the altar and show you a little bit of an illustration of what that should look like. A quiet time. Your own altar. Because we need to rebuild the altars in our homes as well as in the church. But put something specific down. So by the end of the year, you won't be asking, did I grow any? But you had a plan. And if you exercise it, you will. And then set a social goal. What will be my ministry serving others? God doesn't want you to just think of yourself. God does not bless selfishness. First Peter, God has given each of you some special abilities. Be sure to use them to help each other. There's another place for a good amen. amen. To just advance myself in 2018? Is that what I'm trying? No. Be sure to use them to help each other. So anytime you help somebody else, that's called a ministry. It's called service. You serve God by serving others. Next year is going to be the year for many of you to get off the bench spiritually and get down on the field and in the game. You've been sitting on the sidelines watching other people make all the plays. You've got gifts and talents and abilities. God wants to use those because he gave them to you. And he wants you to put them into action. So set a goal to discover and get involved in ministry in 2018. Write down the name of a person who needs Jesus. Pray for them. Share your faith and good news with them. Share the story of how God turned your life from the direction of destruction to a direction of victory. Be concerned about other people, not just yourself. And the whole church attitude should be about others, not about us, because it takes an unselfish church for it to grow. Less than 5% of Americans do this. But if you do this, you're in the top 5% of writing down, tapping in the things that you want to see achieved with God's help this next year. You may have to tape them to the refrigerator door because as often as you go there, you need to be reminded. Somewhere that you'll see it and remind yourself on a regular basis. Well, I've tried this, and I've done the New Year's resolution route in the last two weeks. I've set goals, but I don't follow through. I have the greatest intentions passed through every year, but I just don't stick with it. I can't seem to stay on it. All the things I want to do, I end up not doing. I don't have the power to change. You're exactly right. I agree with you. That's why you have to walk with Jesus moment by moment, day by day. That's the difference between self-help and Christianity. The books may tell you what to do. They have no power to help you get there. Resolutions will last two or three weeks. If you don't 
have this next verse under your belt. Your strength must come from the Lord's mighty power within you. And there's another good place for an amen. Your strength must come from the Lord's mighty power within you. His power gives you the strength to make commitments and keep commitments. Last week, we celebrated Christmas. I hope you were here. If you weren't, you need to get a copy of the message Pastor Michael preached. It was phenomenal. It was a great word God gave us and spoke through him. We were blessed. Celebratory. Amen? Amen. And I love Christmas. You can tell. It's a wonderful time of the year. And we should, no, no question, celebrate Jesus coming into the world because it, it was the event that changed the course of the human race. No question. But did you ever think of this? Not once in the scriptures does Jesus say, celebrate my birth. But over and over and over in the scripture, we're told to remember his death, burial, and resurrection. Why? Because that is the power of the cross. The very first time Jesus came, he came as a baby. He's coming back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When he came the first time, there was no room for him in the inn. When he comes back, all of the earth will be filled with his glory, and it will not contain him. When he came the first time, wise men brought gifts to Jesus. When he comes back, he's going to be bringing gifts for those who were wise enough to follow him. When he came the first time, only a few people got to see him at his birth, the shepherds and those that were there at the manger. But one day, when he comes back, the whole world is going to take notice. Because the word says, every eye shall see him. And the word says, every knee shall bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It means the President of the United States and every king and queen will bow and say, Jesus is Lord. So, carrying into the new year is the message of what Christ has done for us. The power of the cross, mightily working within us, gives us the power to change. Amen? It's what gives us the strength we need. Your strength must come from the Lord's mighty power within you. That power is Jesus' resurrection power over death, burial in the grave. Life is what he brings us. And we can have the best year no matter what we have to face because with him, all things are possible. Thank the Lord. Why don't you stand with me? Come on. Stand with me. Let's celebrate for a moment not only the good things of the last year, but what we anticipate for this coming year. Come on, celebrate the Lord.